Welcome back. I'm Brian, and this is my Bible study podcast. We only have a few more weeks left in our seemingly never-ending series about identity and what we turn to for our source of joy, and it's a concurrent study through the books of Ecclesiastes and Philippians. Today we're covering Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It contains an assorted collection of proverb-type verses that deal specifically with applying wisdom with avoiding foolishness, and with surviving in a world where the people in power might also be playing the fool. So this chapter continues to call us to pursue wisdom over folly, and that the basis for wise living is to reverently fear God and to seek biblical obedience. It's about realizing that wisdom isn't about an outcome, or advancement, or being heard, or winning. It's about a realization that wisdom comes from God. That we don't know how things are going to always turn out, but that we trust God is sovereign over all situations anyway. That fearing God the Father is inseparable from following God the Son, who lived a perfect life, who died an undeserving death on the cross for our sins, who was resurrected and is returning in glory, and who is the wisdom of God personified. You see, this often unread wisdom book, it isn't pointing us to ourselves. It's pointing us to God. I pray that we can read this chapter and apply it to our lives in a way that grounds us more firmly in the wisdom of God, and in a way that points others toward Jesus, to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess is Lord. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 1, English Standard Version translation. So I'm no expert here, but perfume is meant to smell good. Dead things, they usually don't smell good. So if something dies in a vial of something meant to smell appealing, then we have a conflict, right? Like we technically have two aromas competing. But when we smell the bottle, we can't pick out two different smells. We only get one pretty mediocre fragrance that's filling our nostrils in a negative way. So this one time, my wife and I were making dinner for friends. We had a bunch of wonderful side dishes made. The whole house smelled amazing. Well, when we got out the meat, which the package said was still good, just let me tell you, it did not take long for the terrible, awful, nauseating smell of expired meat to overwhelm everything else that smelled good. The point is that there are some things that when they mix, only the bad part comes through. In a sense, if you mix wisdom and folly, then you're not really left with two separate things. The foolish application tends to be what lingers. It infiltrates the entire area as verse 1 ends, so a little folly It outweighs wisdom and honor. It doesn't take much for our foolish actions to outweigh any application of our wisdom. I can speak to this firsthand, and it's not something you can unmix easily. It's really hard to go back and try to isolate out the consequences from the foolish decision so that your wisdom and your honor can progress forward. Like, thank God for Jesus, right? The one who, if you're a Christian, the one who on our day of judgment has his righteousness and his wisdom fully cover our folly. 
Like there are other places in the Bible where we read that a little of a negative thing can affect the entire product of something. The NLT translation of Isaiah 122 ends, Once so pure, you are now like watered down wine. Like when you add a little water to wine, it mixes in the entire glass. It waters down everything in it. This isn't wine, but anybody that's ever bought a soft drink from a drive-thru knows that if you wait too long that all that ice, it's not just going to turn into little self-contained pockets of water. Nope, it's going to water down the entire drink. The end product, it's completely affected, and it's completely affected as a consequence of one little thing. Look, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to live wisely all the time, but we need to understand that folly can have reaching consequences. As we continue through the chapter, we'll see that those consequences can be far-reaching for foolish leaders or for loud-mouthed everyman. But just remember, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 2 and 3. So first off, if you're using this verse to define people across the political spectrum, then you're being ridiculous and you're probably playing the fool. The teacher did not write this verse, divinely inspired by God, to call people in 21st century America on the political right wise and the political left foolish. This is a theological passage, not a political one. And theology is meant to bring us closer to God, not to name-call people that we might not agree with. So let's just set that aside for the moment. As John MacArthur notes, this proverb is based on the fact that commonly, the right hand is more deft than the left. This is about walking on the right path by applying wisdom to our lives. The wise man's heart inclines him to take the correct path, while the fool's heart causes him to stumble and wander off track. The passage says that even when the foolish person does walk on the right road, he does it in a way that lacks sense, and in a way where everybody around them knows that they're playing the fool. I think that this is one thing that comes up a lot in the wisdom literature. Foolish people often speak and act in a way where they think that they're being wise but it's apparent to the people close to them that they are not behaving wisely. This is about how important wise living is, and how important it is to avoid a pattern of foolish behavior. Thomas Schreiner says that even though life is full of vanity, folly must be avoided. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall in it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. This passage starts with a warning against rashness and knee-jerk responses. 
A wise person will remain calm even if they face the anger of a leader. The way we act and respond to a situation can have drastic impacts on how that situation plays out for us. The wise person will exhibit calmness, humility, and will not get super defensive or pop off at the mouth. The wise person can lay to rest great offenses. It can diffuse situations. The foolish response tends to make matters worse. We see this every day at our jobs, at our grocery stores, and on social media. Even if you are right about something, being belligerent does not make a situation better. It doesn't create change, and as we'll read in verse 12, those foolish words, they can consume people. Things also don't always work out justly or fairly in a broken world. It's another one of the realities that Solomon notes as an evil found under the sun. The foolish can get elevated and the wise can be brought to a low place. A subordinate can get the lavish thing, while a prince could end up having to walk. Like we've said a number of times, applying wisdom isn't solving an algebra equation for x. It doesn't give you the same outcome in all situations. In fact, applying wisdom isn't about the worldly outcomes at all. I mean, if you are responding to a situation solely to achieve a better result for yourself, then you might not be applying wisdom at all. Wisdom is about responding to a situation with an approach derived out of a reverent fear of God and an application of His Word. Verses 8 through 10, they're a bit of a hard pivot, but they link back to people who are erring and applying folly and prideful responses. They tend to be people who think that they're guaranteed a good outcome, people who feel they will receive worldly blessings for their choices, people that think that a bad outcome couldn't possibly fall on them. They are the ones who will hack away with a blunt-edged blade because they refuse to concede that it's not sharp. They are the ones who might try to carry stones that they can't handle and end up getting crushed by them. They are the ones who see no need to apply safety practices when splitting logs. The Bible declares that they are the ones who dig and then fall into their own pit. We all do this sometimes. I mean, is there any married person out there listening who hasn't dug a hole with their words and then fallen into it during a prideful argument with their spouse? Like, maybe that would have been a good time for me to apply some of that humble, calming wisdom to lay the conflict to rest rather than get myself in worse trouble. We see this in ourselves at times, and we see this in the world around us. I don't need to listen to what you're saying because there's no way that I'm the one in danger. That's just not going to happen to me. I can do things my way. I can push through. I can control the situation. I'm the master of my own ship. I'm invincible. Like when we do that, we're foolishly saying, I think that I'm my own God and I don't need the people that God has placed around me or the wisdom that God has afforded those people. I'm going to dig this hole of pride, but there is no way that I could possibly fall in it. Like the Bible's very clear that when we start to try to walk our own path because we think that we're above a certain result, that time and chance happen to everyone, that there's a time for everything under the sun, and that he who digs a pit will fall in it. We should seek the alternative. We should apply wisdom because, as verse 10 ends, wisdom helps one succeed. It's not a guarantee, and it's definitely not always easy, but wisdom Fearing God and applying His Word, that helps one succeed.
If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. I think that I would jokingly sum up this passage by saying that you can tell a fool by who's running their mouth loudest and with the most frequency. Like a fool will talk and talk and talk, allowing his words to consume him, to evolve into more and more foolish statements until, as the Bible says, the end of his talk is evil madness. The fool will argue and multiply his words even if he doesn't know the answer, or what will happen, or what direction to go. He just keeps going on and on when the prudent thing, the wise thing, would be to just let it go, or to drop it, or just to listen. Verse 15 observes that the toil of a fool wearies him. Like here in this passage, it's applied to words and speech, but it can be expanded to apply to other areas that Solomon's spoken about also. To any hevel under the sun that a fool might toil himself after pursuing instead of pursuing God and godly wisdom. People exhaust themselves trying to convince people of things that they don't need to argue over. Trying to acquire enough possessions, or a better job, or more Instagram likes, or trying to control things that we're never going to be able to control. It's just going to make you weary. It's chasing after the wind. Throughout this book and the book of Proverbs, another observation is made that fools are hardly ever found by themselves. They are always in a crowd, running their mouths, trying to turn the attention on themselves, and in many instances, like we're going to read in the next section, fools can tend to flock together. This is definitely a warning, but it's not the only takeaway. Because even though time and chance happen to everyone, and even though sometimes unfair outcomes occur, and even though a little foolishness can outweigh wisdom, and even though the foolish might be the loudest, it is still more prudent for us to live wisely in this life under the sun. Seeking the wisdom from above is still preferred to desperately pursuing the hevel of this world. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Ecclesiastes 10 verses 16 through 19. This section talks about national leadership, which Adeyemo notes the contrast between the blessings of wisdom and the curse of folly stand out clearly at the level of national leadership. So the, the kings and the princes who feast in the morning, that's a reference to leadership that is gluttonous, self-indulgent, and generally not concerned about the affairs of their kingdom. They would rather live a life focused on pride and pleasure instead of applying wise leadership to the issues at hand. Woe to them and to their kingdom. And this flows right into the next verse, where happy is the land and the leaders who apply wisdom, who party and feast when they're supposed to, and in moderation, 
not just drinking to get drunk. Schreiner describes that a land is destined for disaster if the king is a fool, but that land is blessed that has a wise and just king. So this would have hit home in the original audience because if you've ever read pretty much any portion of the Old Testament, you will know that Israel wasn't always blessed with wise leadership. The judges might have been appointed by God to save the Israel people at some various times, but just about every one of them had major character and leadership flaws. A good portions of the kings that are listed throughout Kings and Chronicles, they're described as being evil in the sight of the Lord. Even Solomon here, who would have had first-hand knowledge of wise and foolish leadership, he had his father David, who exhibited some foolishness, and his family and his kingdom suffered during those times. But David also exhibited a lot of wise leadership, and Israel saw the fruit of that during most of his time leading. Solomon was blessed with wisdom, and he applied it at times to grow a thriving nation. But he also made some pretty spectacularly foolish blunders, and shortly after his reign ended, the kingdom split, dividing into two separate nations. So there's a couple interesting notes here. The first is that it is important to remember that the determining factor for wisdom versus folly, it's not if we agree with them. The determining factor for wisdom versus folly is not if we agree with a person. I think that's worth repeating. Wisdom instead is fearing the Lord. It's chasing after him and trying to live obediently to his commands, while folly is running from God and chasing the things of this world. Combine that with humanity living in a fallen world, and we see that, secondly, good leaders are not always wise. Even wise kings have foolish moments where they're tempted by the things of this world. Zach Eswine notes that just because we follow God, this does not mean that we aren't capable of folly. I mean, part of humility is knowing that we are capable of being wrong or making foolish and prideful judgments. It is impossible to believe that Jesus came to save me, a sinner, and then to pridefully believe that I'm also not capable of some pretty major blunders. Again, look at every man in the Bible who's not named Jesus. The third thing that I would note about this passage concerning wise and foolish leadership is to hyperlink it back to earlier in the book, places where Solomon talks about the limitations of wisdom, that we can't know everything or deduce every outcome. But also to remember what Solomon has said even earlier in this chapter about time and chance and unfairness. Ecclesiastes makes it very clear. Sometimes applying wisdom can still lead to poor results. And sometimes acting a fool can produce prosperity. It applies to us and our circumstances, and it applies to our leaders. In general, wise leadership is beneficial for those being led, and foolish leadership creates a hot mess. But there are no worldly guarantees here, right? Like leaders can apply wisdom to a situation that ends up turning out poorly, and foolish decisions can create outcomes that make people happy. The point of all this? We are called to apply wisdom in our lives. We should desire our leaders to apply wisdom in their positions. And we are called to pray that ourselves and our leaders are granted wisdom. But we're not called to judge our leaders as wise or foolish based solely on situational outcomes. And we really shouldn't judge wisdom in short-term results. The wisdom is not judged on outcomes. It is displayed through the words and works of people living a life founded in God. 
a life that finds its identity in God's plan to save sinful humanity through Jesus, and a life that aims to glorify God above themselves. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20. Alrighty, so the chapter closes with kind of a sharp turn. After all the talk about foolish leadership and how a fool carries themselves, it ends with a talk, a warning, if you want to say it as that, a warning for the wise. Don't curse the king, out loud, in your head, on the streets, or in your bed. Hey, I made a little like Dr. Seussian rhyme. But the principle stands. Don't get caught up letting the folly of others pollute your thoughts. Usually when we hear something like that, it's in the context of not letting the foolish influence our behavior. Our behavior to be more like them. Like a don't fall to peer pressure type thing. But here it's a little different. The other part still applies. We just now also have to make sure that we're not expending energy trying to tear down other people. We can absolutely have a dialogue about right and wrong, about what biblical stances are on certain issues. But there's a difference between that and cursing our leaders. The Hebrew word here literally means to be trifling, to make despicable, to treat with contempt, and to bring dishonor upon. Like those are not traits that the wise are called to portray. So the chapter intermixes calls for wisdom, examples of folly, and warnings that even leaders can be fools. But it ends with a call for inward peace, calm, and restraint. And if you look at the patterns of the wise and the foolish in the chapter, it's a fitting end. According to the chapter, when the fool walks down a road, he lacks sense. He believes that he is impervious to the perils around him. He is too blinded by pride or arrogance to stop and think. He will use brute force over and over again trying to achieve a task that would be easier done with a different tool. He's consumed by the words that spew out of his mouth, and he just keeps talking more and more, louder and louder, until his talk is madness and he grows weary. He digs a pit and then falls in it. He throws feasts and social events, even though his kingdom is literally falling apart, and he seeks after gluttony, money, and social status. Like all these things hyperlink back to trying to elevate yourselves in this world, instead of seeking to fear and glorify God. So it's kind of fitting that the chapter would end with a warning against outward elevation, against trying to tear down others, against feeling superior at the expense of others. It's a warning that the wise person is not only mindful of what they do and say, but also of where their heart is at, even in the confines of their own bedroom. So check your words, your deeds, and your heart, and seek to apply wisdom in all areas of your life. Because no matter the outcome, wisdom from God is far better than the folly of this world. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the English Standard Version or ESV Bible Translation, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers. Next episode will be back in the book of Philippians. Until then, though, I love y'all.